When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. So just when people were starting to notice that the year seemed to be a little light on huge hip-hop albums, Travis Scott's Utopia arrived. Critics were very iffy on this album. His fans loved it. I personally seem to be enjoying it a lot more than many critics, including our own Andre G, who's joining us. And of course, there's a bit of complication around Travis Scott, to say the least. This is his first album since the tragedy of Astroworld, and I think everyone's grappling in their own way of how to deal with his music in light of that. But Andre wrote a really great and really nuanced review of this album, and there's certainly no shortage of things to talk about. I mean, Andre, this idea of Travis as curator, and that the album is arguably good on every level, except weirdly when it comes to Travis Scott himself as a rapper. Yeah, that seems like the prevailing perception for a lot of the people who listen to the album, but that's true to his musical legacy to this point. He's been regarded as an artist who's a really strong producer, chooses the right people to co-produce with, to collaborate with, to create intriguing sonic worlds. He knows the best artists to collaborate with in terms of what beat is tailored for this artist, who would sound good on what beat. But then it's just when it's time for him to step to the mic, there's a lot to be desired. That's not to say that the album is completely devoid of good raps. There's moments on like God's Country. Where he has solid verses and then even on Hyena, the album intro. He sounds like compelled to rap and on love as well, but technically and cadence wise, it sounds intriguing, but lyrically and substantively, there's just not a lot going on. And that's, that's the major blight on the album, I think. Would you apply the same criticism to his last album, Astroworld, which a lot of people really see as a classic album, but yeah. I enjoyed Astroworld as well. I do feel like that dynamic was still in play, but I also just feel like he has such strong hip hop records, sicko mode. Made this here with all the ice on in the booth. At the gate outside, when they pull up, they give me loose. Yeah, jump out, boys. That's Nike boys hopping out. Cool. Stargazing, like I mentioned in the review. Certain songs were just like overwhelmingly good. I feel like that deterred people from realizing that he's not actually like a great rapper. And I think about a song like Stop Trying to Be God. Stop trying to be God Almighty. Fuck the money, never leave your people behind. It's never love, no matter what you try. It's such like a universal theme in the world we live in with just like the one percent just doing dumb shit every day such a brave concept or brave thing to take on but then as i listen to the song it just falls apart lyrically after the first verse and that's just the travis scott experience that i'll come to know he'll have concepts that sound compelling but he doesn't follow through lyrically. So I feel like that's not even just with Astro World, but with all his albums, that's largely been the case. Unless it's just been like him being able to be like nihilistic and just talk about being high or being drunk. Like he's 
pretty good at that. But when it comes to trying to follow the through line of another theme, songwriting wise, he just, for some reason, it's just, it rarely connects. This sort of uh, elephant in the room, of course, is this is his first album since the tragedy at Astroworld where a bunch of people died and a bunch of people were injured. And I think the consensus in the music world has come down to it wasn't his fault, that clearly there were huge problems in the organization of the event, but it would be wrong to blame Travis for that. I think that's the overall consensus. But even assuming that we accept that consensus, is there also an issue, because people have noted this, that the sort of weight of that event doesn't seem to really exist on this album or really be addressed, except maybe in a straight line or two? Yeah, honestly, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, it seems like the industry in the past however many months has been since that tragedy has like collectively in their own ways just put their arm around him so to speak and try to support him whether it was Diddy being adamant that he wanted him to perform at the Billboard Awards because Diddy has his own kind of live performance tragedy that he dealt with and I'm sure he maybe connected with Travis on that level but then you even look at all the features on Utopia, like a Beyonce feature, if he was still viewed at, if he was still viewed as like a radioactive figure in the industry, I don't think Beyonce is like jumping on his album or clearing her verse for this album. It seems like he's in the clear with his peers, even though there was a report by the Houston PD that said that they felt like he uh, may have known that people were seriously injured. So the police report is 1,326 pages long. The best summary of the report I read was from the independent news site, Houston Landing. Uh, there definitely are some troubling things in the report, but there's arguably no smoking gun. If there was a smoking gun, he would have probably been indicted, and the grand jury chose not to indict him on any charges. As you suggested, the most eyebrow-raising thing in the report is that two audio engineers told police that they overheard Travis being told during the show that concertgoers were dying. But it's important to remember that Travis denied that, and the police didn't get a clear recording of what Scott was actually told, so there's no proof there. And Travis told police that he didn't learn until after the show that anyone died or that there were serious injuries, and he said that he couldn't hear people in the crowd asking him to stop the show, and that he would have if he had. But again, he wasn't indicted, and I guess there really was no spoken gun here. Yeah, agreed. And you're absolutely right. I think that there's a show, the album alone is proof of everybody from John Mayer to the guy from Daft Punk to Future to Beyonce to everybody is on this album. And so it couldn't be clearer that no one in the industry thinks he should be blamed. But the other question, and I've seen people talk about this, is whether, and actually I'll bring this over to a thing that our colleague Jeffy Hazard wrote, which is Travis Scott's brand can't handle this kind of incident. That's what he wrote at the time, that it's not the kind of artistic persona that can incorporate an event this tragic. And I think Jeff has been proven to be right by this album to the extent that the album, there's no point in the album in which you feel that the weight of the tragedy has necessarily changed him as a person or a song that deeply addresses it. There's a couple lines in passing that address it, something about that he would have saved the kid if he could, but it does feel like, for better or worse, the weight of the incident isn't in this album. Yeah, yeah, besides, like you said, passing references, a line or or two here and there, he doesn't, there's no verse, there's no song that takes on his remorse or whatever feelings he might have based on what happened back then. But it's interesting, like Jeff mentioned, 
back then that he felt like his brand couldn't handle it in terms of couldn't handle the backlash and the weight of the, the tragedy in terms of being able to sonically address it or be able to address it at all. He couldn't even do it. His apology video, he got it was taken down because it was so underwhelming and weird. Mm. Um, so, but on the flip side, I feel like his brand, like for better or worse, he's positioned himself brand wise, like to the point where he has a demographic that doesn't actually care about whether he addressed the tragedy unfortunately the song the album still went number one he released several different versions of the physical cd and they all sold his fans like the album based on the backlash i got to my review they're not expecting some remorseful introspective like pensive song from him because that's just never been him so in some ways yeah you could have perceived that his brand wouldn't be able to survive it but then the fan base he has they basically were like, we just want the bangers. We just want to turn up. So it doesn't matter. As long as we get those, then we're satisfied. And that was an intentional choice for him to position himself like that as an artist to provide that type of sound to a certain demographic that asks less questions. And <laughs> that, yeah, that dynamic is definitely, I play on the album. No, that's a great point. And I, I mean, listen, on the flip side, if he had a song that was suddenly really somber and reflective and directly addressing this, A, he might have taken the opposite criticism. I'll be honest. He might have taken the criticism that was like, why is he exploiting this tragedy for streaming numbers? You know what I mean? And then he might have lawyers telling him he can't admit fault to a certain extent or he's just cost himself millions of dollars in settlements. He hasn't been found responsible legally for anything. But again, just going back to the going back to the music itself, it's like it you point out that it's one of the most sonically ambitious and satisfying hip hop albums in a while. And the comparison you made that's very smart is to the Metro Boomin album, Heroes and Villains, which is obviously a, a compilation with a lot of different rappers and some of his best production is the parallel you draw. This album, Utopia, it's a pretty satisfying listen. If you can turn off the part of your brain that's asking for lyrical substance from the lead artist on it, then it becomes a pretty <laughs> satisfying album. And, and I think there's a lot of people who there's a lot of Travis Scott fans who just I think what they say when they read reviews that say hey you know he's got nothing to say and he's got no lyrical substance he's also not even that good a rapper <laughs> they're just like right. so what right it's like admittedly I stand this not this poor rapper yeah avidly yeah it's a weird dynamic when it's I like I said in a review he's like a one-man duo where you're like I wish the producer would stop giving this guy these beats like he's <laughs> wait he's wasting these beats he's wasting his own beats so it's just I don't I don't know like you would want him to probably he'd probably be better off doing the calendar metro booming thing but then it's also just like his prerogative to do what he wants with his music that he and whoever creates and yeah that's just the dynamic of the travis scott project you're gonna get some good production even before it came out i expected this i was like whatever else happens lyrically i know it's gonna be some good production i know he's probably just not gonna say much and yeah as a listener as a fan you can just not have that expectation of good raps, but as a reviewer, it's my job to be like, all right, if you're going to step to the mic, I have to talk about how you step to the mic and your, your detriment as a songwriter. I can't absolve you of that. He himself has acknowledged this. There's one interview where he said that he's not the most rapidly rap-ass artist, expressing his surprise that Kendrick wanted to collaborate on what is honestly one of the greatest Travis Scott songs, Goosebumps. Why they on me? Why they on me? I'm flying. 
And he was really flattered that Kendrick even wanted to fuck with him because of his own sort of deficiencies as a rapper. So I thought that's really interesting. I think we'll probably talk about this later with the um, amount of collaborators on this project, like production-wise. It's so interesting that he has so many other people helping him with the beats, but you wonder, like, how is he, like, prideful about not having ghostwriters? Um, or not ghostwriters, but writers co-writers in general i know he's had co-writers on his albums before it just seems as adamant as he is about making sure that the production is in pristine condition he would be as adamant about having writers or having co-writers to bolster the actual lyrical content to be like something that's worthy of the actual production like something that his idol or his mentor kanye has been famous for he has writing camps where he like berates the writers like does that <laughs> does that sound like something i would say and nah you gotta come back like you gotta you know push your pen a little bit more but it doesn't seem like travis is either he's like too prideful about having writers or he doesn't push his writers to give their like 100 percent effort or i don't know what it is but that's always been a confusing element of it like you have all these co-producers but i don't know what's going on with co-writers our colleague simon and i were talking about that before the show we were wondering whether what if he has co-writers but they just they're trying so hard to fit into kind of his lane that it comes out like that that's true. Yeah, that's true. Cause it's like, yeah, when you don't have like a reputation for go to topics or themes besides just, oh, I'm fucked up or oh, I'm turning up, then yeah, it's hard to, for a writer to have that guidepost in terms of what to write about substantively. So that is a good point. I never thought about that, but maybe that's the case. He pays a lot of attention to all the kind of old fashioned stuff of album making, like sequencing, transitions. His songs always have cool intros and outros he gets a lot of good stuff out of his collaborators there's the song telekinesis which we mentioned is the second to last song on the album and there's a lot of songs on this album i still have trouble absorbing 19 song albums it's too much for the human brain to encompass as a single work if you ask me but a song like telekinesis it's SZA and future but yeah, he has moments where, like you said, he succeeds at bringing like the right artists on the right beat. Like even like Young Lean on Parasol, I think I feel like he was like the best person or not like the best person in the world, but he was a good artist to have on that particular song. So easy for you. Just throughout the album, he has those moments. Like even, yes, I have a scissor and future on telekinesis. I don't know how involved he was in the creation of it, but green lighting it to be on his album was smart because you have the toxic queen and the toxic king coming together <laughs> on this really pensive, like dark nihilist song and it works. So as a curator, quote unquote, he's always on point in that aspect. Drake also takes over Meltdown. Six. Yeah, he's getting a six. Yeah, he's getting a six. Your body got put in some work on the flute. Now you want to go and inherit the shit. Don't talk to I mean, there's there's Travis on it, but what I remember from that song is Drake. Yeah, and even Playboy Cardi on theme. Like he, like I said in the piece, I don't know how much, like the producer rapper has, I feel like the producer rapper has less ego than like the rapper in terms of wanting to outdo the collaborator on a song. Like the pure rapper, the rapper always wants to have the best verse on a song, whereas like the rapper producer just wants to have the best song, even if that means like the collaborator that they work with like kind of outshines them 
And you see that a lot on Utopia. You see that throughout Travis's catalog. Like I can think of moments, previous moments with Drake, moments with Thug, moments with Chief Keith. They're the star of the song and it seems like he's deferential to them as the producer, but it still has his branding and he still might do a verse. It's on the song, so it's technically his song, but it doesn't actually feel that way qualitatively. You make a great point in your review. I mean, Kanye before, obviously, before he lost his mind, Kanye was a great producer who also had some who had some great rhymes always regardless of who who wrote them and he was also and at the same time he had the humility to let Nicki Minaj for example have the absolute star making moment on Monster and his lyrics were also complex and introspective and personal and all the things that I think Travis just isn't willing to be also I don't think he wants to reveal very much of himself whatever's going on in his head he doesn't really want you to know that's part of it another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, the guy who doesn't really talk, the guy who barely looks at the camera for pictures, that would be on brand for him to not want to be too introspective or reflective. I can't psychoanalyze why, but yeah, for whatever reason, Kanye's always been very open about telling his story, talking about being a college dropout, talking about his struggle as a producer in Chicago, talking about his family, talking about his relationships with his mother, having his laptop stolen from him by his cousin. Like Kanye, for better or worse, is the like an ultimate open book. And Travis is like the antithesis to that. And that just, over time, that's going to reflect in your catalog when you're just not willing to get into anything about your life or how you feel about life, how you feel about society, how you feel about anything besides like relationships and being high and drunk. I think one of my favorite songs is Modern Jam. I like a bi girl on a bicycle. Then I bought a car, now she feeling entitled. My dick so hard, poking like the Eiffel. I just need the world, I ain't hard to please. And that's one where Travis manages to hold it down. Tizo Touchdown, a really interesting young artist, is a big part of that song, but it, it feels more like a real collaboration between Travis and him, or really a Travis song with him guesting a more traditional setup. And everything about that song works for me, including the beat, which it turns out that one of the dudes from Daft Punk is on that beat, so that helps explain it. Tizo Touchdown lives in hip-hop, but it has a lot of deep rock influences. And this song, he sounds like a cross between David Bowie and James Murphy from LCD Sound System. Anyway, a really important point. There's an excellent rap blog called No Bells. They did a great job of linking this album to what seemed to be scrapped Kanye West tracks. There's tremendous overlap in people who work with both Kanye and with Travis, and Travis himself did a lot of work with Kanye. And it, it seems like he used a bunch of material 
that was originally slated for Kanye West or even alternate versions of released Kanye West songs, which is pretty interesting. There was a Nobel's blog where the writer Zazie Zay Bay, um, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, she went, she dug into, I guess she talked to leakers and she followed the digital footprint or digital trail or whatever and found out the genesis of some of the songs on the album. So what's interesting is there is this world of leaks, right? And so people know the outtakes on stuff and it seems like Kanye stuff must get leaked especially given the chaos in Kanye's world. I wouldn't be surprised that everything gets leaked nowadays. So we were talking about telekinesis. Telekinesis, according to Nobel's, came from a scrapped Kanye song called Future Sounds. That was also recorded for Donda. And that Travis's hook was on the original song. So that's wild. And then what else do we know? So she compares Circus Maximus. To Black Skinhead. It's the Black Skinhead drums, which are basically like the... So those drums come from Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. And uh, she points out that they also have the same flow. It has a weird relationship to Kanye outtakes and the Kanye catalog. But again, as, you, I, th as I think you said, Travis was involved with these Kanye sessions, almost all of them. So it's a little confusing. It's just, it may just be him reclaiming his own work, as you said. That's what makes it hard to give credit when it comes to like rapper producer albums. You never really know who called what shot is like in sports, like the coaching staff, like you have the head coach and then a bunch of assistant coaches. So you never know who called what play. So you just credit the head coach like by default. <laughs> so I think that's what's at play with Travis albums, even Kanye albums. Travis and Kanye have had obviously a working relationship for over a decade now. So you have elements and Kanye has always been really open or has allowed his collaborators to be open and transparent about working with him as co-writers, working with him as co-producers, renting out a stadium and having a who's who of rap come to the stadium to help him record. Like he's not bashful about it. And so there were times where Travis is part of that cadre of artists and producers. And so you never know if it's him, like you said, taking back some of those ideas that he might have been the catalyst for that Kanye never used or left on the cutting room floor, however you want to phrase it. The truth is Travis will never be canceled the way that Kanye is currently canceled. And Travis is seems like a much more functional artist than Kanye is at this point. So it's probably good that this stuff is getting out there in a form that the world will and can hear, to be honest. I don't know. Yeah, some of that stuff was for, for Donda too, which like Kanye had a listening session for, a listening session where he played like unfinished songs and then just dropped it and went off to do whatever it is he's doing now i don't know listen he's a lot of things but he's also a musical genius so whatever he's gonna be involved in is gonna sound good it's great for the music listener who can still stomach like listening to something he has proximity to still hear that those sonics to hear those ideas out in the world like you said before he lost his mind what kanye brought to not just hip-hop but honestly music 
in general was so invaluable just the sonic ambition and the musicality and i think a lot of that and that's why i'm i'm pro utopia in the end because so much of that is is here in this album for all its for all its failings i think that's why this album is fun to talk about because it's its origins are so complicated and fraught it's both really good in in so many ways and then really bad in others it's a, it's a very anomalous sort of situation i feel like this this album just speaks to the notion of like when you're reviewing or criticizing it doesn't have to be like branded as good or bad sometimes it's just worth talking about yeah this album like we said it doesn't have the best songwriting but beyond that like there's so many other compelling like threads we can pull with the production how good the production is who's responsible for the production where is the genesis of the of the songs being created there's so many different talking points for the album in in this era where five six albums even more than that where just albums are coming out every week and a lot of them don't stick it's hey at least we're talking about this album a week or two after the release because it is a compelling album in many ways and he is someone doing the kind of ambitious work where he's trying to he's trying to be for the moment to be at the center of music and to bring in Beyonce to bring in John Mayer even though no one's talking about that but he does play on a track when it comes to the quote-unquote event album Travis is always like when it comes to the branding conversation again he's since Astroworld at least he's become too big to fail or position himself as too big to fail like he's probably regarded as like an a-list rap superstar at this point i think most people would agree with that so once you build that precedent for yourself and you're like however old he is 29 30 it's not like you're getting ready to retire so you got to keep that ball rolling so i guess in his mind one way to do that is to just keep up in the stakes keep having the major collaborators keep pushing the boundaries with the the depth and the complexity of the production that's it's interesting how the commercial element ends up affecting the art because he just knows he has major label major expectations of going number one of which he did of selling a boatload of units and which he did again to meet those expectations as an artist like travis scott you have to quote unquote go above and beyond it felt like the single k-pop Like, I love Bad Bunny. It felt maybe a little transparent, demographic broadening, aiming for number one kind of thing. It felt a little, perhaps, transparent to, to lead off with that. I don't know how you felt. The song is not that good. It just felt like a clear attempt, like I said, to try to cater to Bad Bunny's fan base and get some streams that way. And even for Travis, it's such a departure from what he, from the Travis Scott sound, quote unquote. So it's just, yeah, it's interesting to see an artist of that stature, not even just that stature, but with kind of the reputation of having a trademark sound, just veer so far from that trademark sound on the first single. And for it to be so transparently like a play for streams was interesting. In some advanced interview, Travis said that he was, that the sound he was going for in this one was going to be like psychedelic rock. There are these sort of trippy instrumental passages and vocal harmonies. And like we said, a specifically prog rock sample or two. And it is interesting. Obviously, Lil Yachty went much farther in that direction. He made a full on his version of a rock album. But it is interesting to see those two things from two big artists in the same year. Even Uzi, even in some ways Steve Lacey last year, like you just have a lot of like 
younger black artists who are honest about, yeah, I grew up listening to rock music and I don't want to just limit that proximity to something I'm passionate about to like my image or just saying I'm a rock star. I want to pursue those sonics. I want to collaborate with rock artists and sample from rock records and release rock albums. So it's cool. The music world is wide open for I feel like a lot of people are just tired of the idea of genre. So yeah. as long as it's, as long as it sounds good, do what you want to do. Do what you're passionate about. Or even if it doesn't sound good, just <laughs> as long as you're trying to do something compelling, then you're fulfilling yourself. So I, I appreciate that. The difference between like Uzi's thing, which was always like emo influenced, so 2000s rock influenced, is yeah. that these guys are delving back into sort of way older stuff, the prog rock and psychedelic rock. Kanye West, Power, which was a long time ago, is built around a sample of a 21st century schizoid band by King Crimson, or a major prog rock band. Again, say what, whatever's happened to him 13 years ahead of the trend, which is that's the definition of being ahead of your time. And yeah, all the artists that we just mentioned, they all love Kanye. So the chain of what I love about the chain of music, especially with hip hop, is you'll love an artist, then you'll hear something they sample, then you chase, you go find what they sampled, and then that opens you up to a whole nother world or scene of music. And that may have been the case with the younger artists who are leaning into these prog rock sounds because they heard artists that they admire sample them and they were like, oh, what is that? That sounds interesting. And that's how music discovery that's how it works to an extent. Yeah, I wanted to pivot just a little bit. You were talking about this subject of, especially since it is hip-hop's 50th anniversary, you had some interesting things to say on the subject of people talking about up until Travis this year was light on hit hip-hop albums. There's some signs of just a little commercial fraying around the edges. As someone else said, it's ironic. When Nas did Hip Hop is Dead, he was talking actually about the fact that hip hop was too commercial. And now people are complaining that <laughs> hip hop is not quite as commercial as it was a couple years ago. Well, it's still pretty damn commercial. So this is That's that interesting hilarious. paradox. And I, I wish I could remember who said that because it was such a great point. Uh, shout out to whoever said that. I just cannot remember who wrote that. But I mean, it is interesting. And you pointed out that judging it by the commerciality isn't necessarily the right thing anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could go with this discussion. I mean, for one, I just wasn't buying it. For, listen, hip hop, so over the past 20 years, like the last 10 to 15, especially like with Kanye West, Pharrell, like these Timbaland, these super like hip hop R&B producers, like assimilating so deeply into the quote unquote pop world. They've like re, they shifted the sound of pop music to where it's so indicative of like hip hop anyway. There's no way that pop music is not going to sound like hip hop, even if it's like not a hip hop artist that's, even if it's not branded as a hip hop artist song, I feel like. So there's that element, like hip hop could never not be on the pop charts because the 808s, the drum programming, the sample techniques is still it's hip hop oriented in my opinion. So there's that. So I was never even buying into this conversation this year. And I also look at it from the perspective of, for those who are basketball fans, like when people would talk about like Team USA in the context of like international basketball, and there are some Team USA teams that have had like trouble with like other countries where the games were more competitive. But if we were to actually bring our 100% A team, like the actual best 10 players over to whatever country, we would just steamroll everybody. <laughs> And I feel like in the same manner, once Drake comes out, Travis Scott, Kendrick, Eminem, Jay-Z, once these guys come out, they're going to do their numbers. And then this whole, where's hip hop at the top of the charts, that conversation is not going to exist. And Travis just showed that we utopia. Drake is going to show whenever his album comes out. Like 
whenever Eminem, Kendrick, whatever the guy, Tyler, the guys I just mentioned, whenever they drop, they're going to do their numbers, and this conversation is going to feel silly. So there, that that was another aspect of it. But then also, yeah, I as a maybe just as a critic or whatever you want to frame me as a writer, I just never view like the commercial viability of a song as like a compelling aspect of the quality, or it, it never tied into why I cared about a song or why I thought a song was good. Like I care about like the actual sonic elements and me. I'm also a fan of like the quote unquote underground hip hop scene where I just, sure. I just hear artists pushing boundaries and talking and exploring topics that a lot of major label acts aren't exploring production and influences, even to the aspect of when you talk about the artist Blackie, like his name came up during this album cycle because people were making the parallels between Utopia and Yeezus and then other people in the know were saying that like, yeah, this was also influenced by like underground artists, including Blackie and his music was yeah. being played during those sessions as inspiration, but you wouldn't know that because if you're only tied into who's commercially viable, even if you're a sonically groundbreaking artist, if you're not in a position where you're in front of millions of people or millions of people who know who you are, they might not be as aware of your sound. That's when you have the, oh, there's no good hip hop discussion because people are just not fully tapped into everything that's going on out here. I don't know. I say all that to say I like a lot of different artists who are not topping the charts, who will never top the charts, probably. And I don't, for a lot of reasons, I, they don't care about it, and neither do I. I'd refer people back to the episode earlier this year of the best 2022 albums you didn't hear because Andre talks a lot about some of the the more underground rap albums from last year that, that were great and a lot of people didn't hear, and we'll do that again about this year. So I was just also going to say, I think hip-hop is having... If there is an issue, I think it's the issue that's music industry-wide, and our old colleague... Elias Light wrote a piece about this for Billboard, which is 100% the industry is having trouble breaking new stars, new lasting stars. And that's not a hip-hop issue, that's a music issue across the board. Breaking through and getting to the level of a Drake in 2023 is just harder than ever, which is why so many of our big artists across genres, from Taylor Swift to Drake to whatever, kind of date back from to before 2013. It was easier to break through the noise before now. So that's just a problem that's not a hip-hop problem, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I'm not quite a, like a quote-unquote pop music aficionado, but yeah, like you said, there's just so many other artists to contend with. Artist development is like not a thing. So even if there is an artist who's talented or who has promise or who has star quality, but maybe needs to refine some things, the artist might or the label might be giving up on them or reducing the resources that he put into them if their first album isn't as successful as they want. There's a lot of things going on with that discussion. But again, I also don't know how much I care about that discussion because <laughs> it's just also I feel like there are plenty of really interesting, compelling people in hip hop. They just, okay, a corporation might not be wanting to or willing or able to and there are plenty of compelling interesting artists who are like good interviews who are funny who are smart who are engaging in their own ways who just might not have the corporate backing that you know the artists that we the pop stars that we previously mentioned have to help them 
catapult themselves out of that muck or that morass of just so many artists contending for the spotlight. Yeah, no, it's a philosophical thing. I mean, across genres, I love a lot of music that never had a chance of being popular again. At the same time, I'm always kind of rooting for great artists across genres to come up from the underground and conquer the world. I love that narrative. And I just, for me, it's frustrating that that seems harder than ever. Again, not just in rap, across everything. And can you have a story like Future Again, where it's like underground mixtape after underground mixtape, and then it bubbles up? You know what I mean? It's just like, it just feels harder. So that's frustrating. But yeah, this reminds me, I was talking with somebody recently about Atlanta hip hop, and we were talking about how for the past 15, 20 years, they basically ran hip hop, but feel like every six months they had like a new hot artist who was like in turn, like the hottest new artist in hip hop. And we were talking about maybe like the last figure who had that position was like little baby, but that was like, that feels like it was four or five years ago. I mean, he's already like a established star now, and it doesn't seem like there are any obvious stars within that scene or within a lot of scenes who are just quote unquote on the cusp of that stardom. So even when it comes to a scene like Atlanta that was always reliable for the futures, the amigos, thug, like young thug, like all these artists now, even they're having that trouble producing that next superstar. And you wonder what all the factors are going on there. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.